0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome back to Bug Eye's Rock Pop Rambles. This is episode what is this episode 18
1: Eight, 18 18
0: yeah. it yeah. is Bloody hell, yes. yeah i know and i'm angela from the bad Eye, and this week my co-host is grace gracie two Hello. keys
1: gracie two keys how you doing i'm good i'm tired it's an early, it's an early one today, isn't it? We've is. done a morning podcast before. Well, I say early; it's twenty to eleven. But oh, yeah, <laughs> so early, we're, we're rock stars, early man.
0: Earth. <laughs> <laughs> so this this week was quite exciting for us as a band because we had our debut album come out on Friday, which the tenth of July, and we did like Q and A sessions. We've done a live stream playing together for the first time as a band as part of. Um, Sucker Music Week Festival, or I think Sucker yep, Official no, that's Music?
1: Right. Sucker Official, that's yeah, Sucker Music, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: Sucker Music. Yeah. Some other great bands were playing too, so it was, it was awesome. Yeah, it was
1: brilliant. It was great.
0: Still not the same as playing like a, a real gig where there's people there, because it was in my studio downstairs, but...
1: Yeah. It's strange when you haven't got the audience to bounce off, isn't it? Yeah. It's really weird. Well, what it, when you finish, you just kind of stand there looking around. Well, I suppose what it results in is is
0: just just like chat, lots of chat between songs. Which, if I was yeah. at a gig watching a band, would drive me insane. It's like just play, but um, yeah. <laughs> but you just it's it's just weird to just have this silence. But um, but yeah, it was it was really good to play as a band together because we haven't
1: done that in so many months. No, I think what was it Middlesbrough was our last gig like the 8th of yeah. March or something like that for International Women's Day wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's that's a really really long time ago. Um yeah. But hopefully hopefully um the live industry will resurface but I've got a feeling it's not going to be until
1: 2021 properly. No, I'm not getting my hopes up to be honest with you Angela. Is it outdoor events? It's outdoor is it, events. Is it yesterday that outdoor events were it allowed? It is.
0: But the problem the problem that I'm finding with this is that so so for example, I um I've put on a festival in the past, um, and I thought, well, maybe I could get something up and running for um outdoors. But with all of the restrictions in place and all of the health and safety stuff I would have to do, the extra security, um yeah. all of the extra it's just like how would that ever be you know i i just don't have the money to 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 no, do it, it just makes it, the event it? incredibly expensive but then also people getting to that event i think it would impact the numbers so i i think you know for 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 people who've got money to put on events and can take the hit then that's that's great but i i don't know what it means for for the atmosphere, because so I've seen lots of crazy images online of people stood in almost that looks like kind of cattle, cattle little yeah, zombies, yeah, Really? Yeah. Um, unless you made it like a completely like almost punch-drunk secret cinema event where it was like an immersive experience of being in this really bizarre world, which is actually the reality of our world. Really. Uh, yeah, yeah. And for those listening who don't know who punch drunk are. Um or secret cinema they create immersive theater uh, so punch drunk create immersive theater experiences It's um, kind of a performance art piece that's in like big warehouses there's there's a great one um Sleep no more I think it's called in America and they had the drowned man in the UK and anyway in secret cinema big cinema events,
1: but themed. you don't fancy dress and all of that
0: all of that just sounds
1: really cool. I went to something like that once in Birmingham. I went to see a fellow. Yeah, in the in this immersive theatre experience in this old warehouse, yeah. it was great. It was absolutely brilliant. I'd be up for doing something Ooh, like that. again. I, I just
0: really hope Punch Drunk bring bring it back. I mean, the Drowned Man. I was lucky that I I got for for a number of reasons free tickets. Quite a few times, I went like four times to it. But I knew people that yeah, went for like really there's like secret rooms and things like that. And you just put on these um, these masks. No one's allowed to speak, and you just wander around this world. And there's there's beautiful dance pieces, but there is a story, but it's told in a very sort of abstract way, and the sets were just incredible. I, I just found it a really inspirational experience, but I know some people found it incredibly disturbing um, to to watch because it was it was quite dark. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. Have you been to a drive-in cinema? I haven't.
0: No, I mean I, I've heard I've heard that they're they're quite fun. Um,
1: I would need to clean my windscreen, which I should probably do anyway. Um Because well, one of the things I'm missing most is the cinema. Yeah. I used to love a little trip down Peckhamplex <laughs> after work. I'm really missing
0: that. Well, I created um a garden cinema for me and Julia. I saw that. Yeah, it was lovely. With, yeah. With glittery really nice curtains idea. and popcorn and decorate the garden, you know, it's, it's something that you do once and then you go, oh, that was a lot of effort.
1: Yeah. It looked like you you really went for it, didn't you? It looked lovely. What did you watch? Knives Out, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was um, I quite like that just feel. just something quite light light-hearted really because
0: it's it's just we've seen and read about so many things that are upsetting and it was just a bit of a uh, bit of fun, a bit of escapism with a lot of cocktails. Nice, no, lovely. Lots of cocktails. Anyway, I suppose let's Let's crack on, on. crack on with the show. So Rock Pop Rambles is a kind of music... To make it sound his, uh, To make it sound serious, it's like a music history podcast. Oh, is that
1: what we're calling it now? I suppose
0: it's <laughs> could, but not really. I mean, we talk about the legends from rock and pop and they could actually be from the past or present, to be, to be honest. Or we could make some up about the future ones um, that haven't happened yet. Uh, yeah. And we also... Uh, come armed with a new music discovery of the week to to kind of share share with you all. So this week we've got a bit of a special show because we're just focusing on one story but split in two. We're going to do the story of Phil Spector.
1: Yes, I've really been looking forward to this because I was going to do it on my own, wasn't I, yeah. at the beginning? But I think this is much better idea. Yeah, there's, there's so much to cover,
0: isn't there, you see? There, there is way way too much to cover so I'm gonna do the early years and I'm seriously just focusing on the early years because it's almost like it's like a trilogy series of Phil Spector isn't it (laughs) like the the beginning the middle the end and you know yeah so um so I'm I'm gonna focus on the the early years and Grace is gonna do the the ending bit but yeah I really think you know there's so much detail to this to this story um and different perspectives as well of how people look at him and remember him. Uh, new music this week from me comes from a band and I really apologise because I can never pronounce their name. Um, so you're going to have to help me out, Grace. Um, I'm going to call them, this is what I think they should. the name should be, um, Dear Furies. I know it's not that.
1: All oh, French, then English. I like that. I know. Well, yes, yeah, the ending bit I've got problem with. So um, yeah. Well, I we tried to well the first one. Do we? We got that one, didn't we? Yeah. But the the didn't we say it was furieux or something? See, I can't. I, add, I don't fureux. know. It's it sounds
0: it sounds like I'm taking the piss out I of the I know. out of French people. Yeah. Or the band or both. And I'm really not. I just I just can't pronounce things. i
1: We'd terrible. love for someone to let us know how to say that. Well, you need to send us we, a recording. Are... <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. Because we are embarrassing ourselves now. So in 2019,
0: I think it was late 2019, they released an album called My War Is Your War, which I absolutely fell in love with. And I was so sorry that I missed their show. They played like a kind of release party at Kick Out the Jams in Camden, I think Did it was at like Dublin Castle, yeah. Oh
1: wow! And I, didn't um,
0: know. I missed that one because Beth Beth wasn't wasn't very well. Um, but I've I've seen them play before. I think we've played with them before, actually, maybe what, years ago. Not not with not with, with you and Kerry. Song. I don't um, remember. Really, really great band. And the song I'm going to play for you, um, which shall I just play it right now? seeing I'm talking about them. Yeah, go on. Um, I'm going to play "Let Them Burn." So here it is. Oh, that was the band that I can't pronounce The Furious The Fury? I don't know um, I
1: really,
0: I'm really, i really sorry guys uh, It's a great, great album Great tracks They're on Spotify They're on all of the social platforms I will put links in the show notes So you can access All of their good stuff But I'm going to spell this anyway I don't think you need me to spell du But I'll do it anyway Deux. And then the second word is F-U-R-I-E-U-S-E-S. Few uses? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just making words up in with really <laughs> yes, terrible French
1: accent. Made up French.
0: But yeah, it's hard hitting. It's a bit political. It's great. The album cover with the red flag on there is beautiful. Um, yeah, I love it. So, Grace... Before I dive into the early years of Phil Spector, um, yeah. who are you going to play as the, the kind of, you know, the, the breakup between the,
1: the, the, the Phil story? Who are you going to play? Uh, so my new music this week are The Tots. Oh, excellent. Yeah, you wanted to do these, didn't you? We both messaged them. <laughs> yeah, we did. I was a bit embarrassed about that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, all-female uh, band, London-based, Indian, Caribbean and English heritage... They supported Bikini Kill last year. Amazing. was last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, it was. Um, so, yeah, their uh, debut album, Update Your Brain, available on CD and digital download on Bandcamp at the minute, yeah. sold out of the vinyls, Yep. Yeah. like we did.
0: Like we did, like that sneaky <laughs> <bit>. We <laughs> yeah. did sell out before release day, so the pre-orders, completely sold out, brilliant. Yeah, I was chuffed with
1: that. Uh, yeah, so a song called 1982... From there it was I think it was the second single from that album okay
0: brilliant okay well should we get should we get stuck right in with Phil Spector so I suppose before I go into um the story of Phil Spector I suppose the reason why I wanted to to cover this was because Phil Spector has actually always been quite important to me musically when I was growing up my dad was a huge Phil Spector um fan you know he, he'd discovered so many records by phil Spector during his teenage years in in the 60s so i mean he still loves phil Spector's stuff and still plays it today so i grew up listening to a lot of phil specter records and i had no idea about really who he was and it was even more that it was like oh that's a phil specter record rather than that's the ronettes or that's the crystals it was phil specter yeah. to me and even with um you know, I'm a big fan of Christmas. I know, it's shocking, isn't me it? Me too. Uh, no, huge, huge. I just, I lose any taste in anything. It's yeah, tackiness, it's all out. Love it. Yeah. But uh, one of my favourite um, Christmas albums is the Phil Spector Christmas album. That is the one that's just played on, on repeat. Um, so obviously, you know, growing up later and, and learning more about him, it was a bit, a bit disturbing. And then also, I don't know... You kind of start to get a different view of those of those records, but uh, but you still have to keep in mind that there were artists involved um, in making those records. And it wasn't just all Phil Spector. But um, but yeah, I, I won't cover the darker bits so much in this story. Um, so I'll get stuck in. So Phil Spector, the early years. <coughs> Phil Spector was born on the 26th of December in 1939 to Benjamin and Bertha Spector a first-generation immigrant Jewish family in the Bronx, New York. His birth name was Harvey
1: Philip Spector. Did you know that? Uh, only because I Wikipedia'd him about an hour ago.
0: <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. It's it's not difficult to find that fact. Anyway. Um, when little Harvey was nine years old, his father committed suicide and on his gravestone, the words Ben Spector, father, husband... To know him was to love him. um, Was was put on there, yes. Which I was just about to say. So the last line goes on to be in one of Phil's songs, um, which actually, when I read that, um, because I'm coming on my period soon, I feel really emotional. That actually made me Uh, cry.
1: Yeah. Well, I went a bit funny then. Oh, it was just like, oh, that's just, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's lovely. So Phil was brought up by his mother, who can only be described as overbearing, who would kind of alternate from being really loving and smothering
1: to being a complete bully. Um, Angela, I love this because the early years just really explains the later years. Yeah, it really. This is perfect. Really,
0: really does. And uh, anyway, so four years after his father's death, Spectre and his mother and his elder sister Shirley moved to California. He, she, she went to work as a as a seamstress. They, they were like not that uh, they were quite poor family. Let's let's say, and he was he was quite small, pale, and scrawny, and people thought he had a funny voice and he was very much seen as a sort of playground outsider um, and bullied a little at school as well and by his own account he just described himself as always being a bit different and that he would find his salvation in music so I think I think some of this explains a lot I mean I'm not you know but you can go on to that that bit later um, and it's it's kind of impossible to cover Phil Spector's story and not touch on some of the darker stuff. Um, so there's a reason why I haven't gone into it too much is because we're we're going to cover that, or Grace is going to cover some of that later. So moving forward, 1958, he enlisted two school friends in a group called the Teddy Boys. Actually, it was three school friends. Sorry, my notes are wrong. And he wrote and produced his first record. So the members of the band called the Teddy Boys were Phil Spector, Marshall, Leab, Harvey Goldstein which I should have um, looked up if it's the Harvey Goldstein, but I didn't. Um, and Annette <laughs> Klembard and Sandy Nilsson on drums. And the title of the song was To Know Him Is To Love Him. Yeah, yep, it was taken from the gravestone. So, you know, the, the one thing that carries through with all of Phil Spector's stuff, even if you do think that the lyrics and things like that are a little twee, is the heart and soul that goes into it from an innocent time and that kind of writing has stuck with him from an early age right the way through his his career um anyway the record gave phil his first number one hit and he was just 18 at the time and by the time he was 22 he was a millionaire which in today's money is like a zillionaire or something you know yeah that's ridiculous i mean to any any, anyone who was a writer to make money but anyway um okay so the fact the fact that, that fact time here so he was a millionaire by the time he was 22 um the song that he recorded at gold star studios uh came in at the total cost of 75 dollars 75 dollars. yeah i don't know what that is in today's money but it no, still doesn't I don't. I don't think that's very much um but yeah anyway during this period, record producer Stan Ross, co owner of Gold Star Studios in Hollywood, began to choose Spectre in record production and kind of was a bit of a major influence on Spectre's production style, I suppose. You're going mm-hmm. from someone who's a bit old school from the glamour of Hollywood and those big records to Phil who grew up in the 50s with all of the kind of rock and roll and blues stuff. So it's, it's, you can kind of see how the two sort of start to to merge together. Uh, anyway so the teddy boys next single i don't need you anymore reached number 91 in the charts so it was pretty a uh, pretty much a flop they released several more recordings including an album called the, te- the the teddy bears sing but that failed to reach the top 100 in the us sales charts and the group disbanded in 1959 but phil wasn't put off by that and he was willing to absolutely graft and to graft for free and that is exactly what he did he um by 1960 he was working freelance in the studio with the likes of Ruth Brown and Ronnie Crawford to name but a few and and the studio bosses and the the producers would often give him like b-sides as in you know we're really busy let let you know he can cut his teeth on this song that's a b-side so he worked for free but he was able to hone his hone his skills let's say with with the greats of the of the time um in late 1961 um Phil Spector formed a record company with Lester Seal the relationship would sour, and Phil would end up taking over the label Lester Seal there's there's this great documentary that I watched in the research for this which I discovered and bought for my dad's birthday actually because I kind of remember snippets of this when I was a little kid that my dad would watch oh, this, really? this Phil Spector documentary and I didn't really take in much of what they were saying just more the music and some of the sort yeah. of visual stuff stayed with me and it's called Do Ron Ron The Story of Phil Spector and it was created by the BBC and filmed in the States and it features interviews with um, you know the Ramones, uh, Lester Seal, Jeff Barry, Sonny Bono, Darlene Love, Ronnie Spector and, and like so many others but the main person in it who kind of does a lot of narration is legendary DJ Rodney Rodney on the Rocks who plays Bunker. Yeah, he I didn't realise oh, he's yes. a huge name in music in the states. Yeah, we were talking about this yeah. the other day, weren't yeah. we? Yeah, huge yeah. name, and it's like you, there's there's some footage of like a really young Rodney who's starting out who does kind of as I say like some narration to
1: this was he was he wasn't he a bit of a hit with the ladies so Rodney
0: oh that's that's what I've heard as well I've started you yes. know you google him it's like there's a picture of him with Debbie Harry oh Debbie <laughs> Harry's one of his best friends and all of these 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 things it's just incredible but um so yes that documentary kind of you know has taken on a new meaning to me as to a kid that. as a like little Angela sat there and there's Rodney <laughs> chatting about you know Phil Spector and all these huge music stars, and later in life, he'd be playing my records. You know, it's um our records yes. even. You know, it's just quite anyway. It's even even in this documentary, before I digress too much, um, Lester Seal. That's no, a good
1: recommendation. What's that one called? It's called
0: Do-run-run. Do Run 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 Dadu Ram 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 Dadu Ram Run. The story of Phil Spector. I'll lend it to you because it's just on DVD. Then it's not. It's not like um, I don't think you can get it on any of the streaming platforms it's a bit of a weird documentary i have to say um like there's lots of um there's there's a bit where darlene loves singing for some reason they've just got her on the beach she's not actually singing she's just miming to Phil mm. spec to record with a sweatband on and just it but like a christmas <laughs> song like a christmas song and then there's also like a scene of just you know they just cut to some music and it's people just you know everyday people just as they are in the park where people just roller skate and they just start dancing with each other because that was the great thing about, like, the 80s when this was made. Um, people just did crazy stuff like that. <laughs> it, honestly, you watch it, it's just, they just cut to so many bits where it's like, I don't know what's going on, like, what what's happening here. But um, you've, you've sold it to me. I'm definitely watching beautiful. it. It's beautiful. Um, it's not going to win any awards for documentary-making skills, <laughs> but it should for just some of the classic footage and what people f- thought was... Um, you know it was a classy shot there's even a scene of like this old vintage plane in the sky and they just play like a whole song and it's just it's just watching this plane in the sky but half the time it's not even doing anything it's just like flying straight it's not like doing stunts it's like why why is that something you've chosen to focus on (laughs) that's really strange yeah anyway back to back to the Phil Spector story so Lester Seal, even though their relationship soured it's it's clear you know he still believes that Phil Spector was just like this immense talent he was absolutely incredible but um his ego was was the thing that kind of overtook if if you like but then also it was believed you know if he didn't have that ego he wouldn't have been able to make such great records and push boundaries for that time um yeah. i mean what he said was you know that um Phil Spector basically, you know, it was thought by some that Phil just wanted the limelight. He wanted to be the one that, you know, he was the one making the records, that he was the one producing them, he was the one writing them, he was the one that ran the label. And 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 basically it wasn't long until Leicester was was kind of, you know, they parted their ways, but Phil kept the label. And the, the label is actually called Phil Fearless, Fearless Records. So Phil and Seal <laughs> together. Um what? Yeah, what? Feel what? Phyllis Records, like feel So Phil oh, and right. seal. It's, oh, It's yeah, <laughs> I'm not even going to go into that one. Anyway, um, and others thought that Phil wanted to take control because he really wanted to escape this old school view by the older kind of conservative record label execs and really take things in a different direction. He wanted to make pop music that blended conventional team teen romance sentiments with the power of sort of huge orchestrational sort of arrangements in what he described as like little symphonies for kids. Um, And he also goes on to say in the the BBC documentary, there's some audio interviews with with Phil Spector. And he he talks about he had this kind of yearning to be understood and to be respected, much the same as teenagers did. And he saw himself as um, someone who who just very much related to teenagers in, in that way that I want to be somebody, I want that respect, I feel misunderstood, um, I've got all these things I want to say and I want people to hear me. And he thought that was a very powerful thing and that's the sort of music that he wanted he wanted to make. Uh, he basically said it was emotional music for an emotional generation. And... Um, what people really don't mention about Phil Spector, though, is that he didn't he didn't work on his own. Um, for example, the the Do run run was co-written by Jeff Barry, um, and Jeff Barry's in this documentary that talks about about Phil Spector as well, and he he talks about with the the lyrics, you know, I met him on a Monday, and my heart stood still to do That they had this extensive meeting about whether it was I met him on a Sunday or a Monday. And it was decided that even though Monday was lame and you never really went out or did anything on a Monday, that they'd use Monday instead of Sunday because Sunday had this awful S that would just drag <laughs> out over there. But but with the old recordings, people actually thought they were singing Sunday anyway. It, yeah, that's just just a little little interesting mm, fact, nice little fact there. There, just uh, yeah. But um so Jeff the Jeff and Phil show, um <laughs> Jeff Perry show, uh credits they they did a lot of writing together. So they yeah. did. Do what did he? Then he kissed me. Be my baby. Chapel of Love. River deep, mountain high, which is one of my favorites. Leader of the pack. Sugar, sugar. You know, and and I suppose real Muses that look at look at the back of records would would know this fact. But a lot of people just think of the Wall of Sound and Phil Spector. They don't think about. Um, that he didn't actually pen all those those songs. Well, this
1: is this is the case with a lot of people yeah. from history. The, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that gets forgotten, really.
0: Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And in the documentary, um, Jeff Barry explains that the, the reason why this, this sound took off as well um, was there was a change in music at that time. Now, it had kick-started in the 50s, but even then, a lot of the record companies were more this kind of... Um, Cottage industry, like run by families. They weren't like the the multi million pound industry that it would become in the 60s. In the 60s is when marketing and PR and really taking that concept of the teenager uh, yeah. really came to the fore. The um, yeah. So in the 50s, kids basically had to accept what their parents listened to and had to try and relate to that. A musical was always aimed at the parents by the bigger labels. Um, rather than at the kids, because, the, the, you know, it was seen the parents are the ones that earn the money, they're going to buy the records. Um, yeah. But Phil was really going after the youth market, and people...
1: Well, were... at late 50s, early 60s, that's the, like, the birth of subcultures, yeah. isn't it, really? Ex- exactly. So that's why... I... Yeah, so that's probably it's, why.
0: Exactly. So what he did was really focus and hone in on the teenage market he wasn't the only one to do this i mean in this documentary they make it sound like he was but um yeah. he he absolutely wasn't but he was the one that really understood marketing and pr and this yeah. is really important for for the, the kind of legend that is phil phil spectre um yeah. so jerry libra and sorry if i um have pronounced that wrong, in the documentary, said that that Phil Spector was really, really talented, but he certainly wasn't the greatest producer of the time. Phil was skilled at marketing and PR around himself more than mm-hmm. anyone else. He made some good records, but there were loads of producers at the time, basically, that delivered more hits than, than Phil. And yet, yeah, you'd be hard-pressed to name them, right? Yeah. There's like um, Art Roop, there's the Harry Brothers... Um, Maxwell Davis. And I went on to Google Maxwell Davis and he had over 100 hits in the 60s. Oh, right. right, Phil Spector, I think he had probably about 17, right? So this yeah, just kind yeah. of gets So it's a huge
1: difference. Huge, it's not
0: just a slight difference. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, back to Lester Seale, he said that Phil Spector totally dominated the artist. So this was the, the difference. I mean, this again, this happened a lot, but, but it's like Phil was the celebrity, whereas with all these yeah. other producers and writers... They sat in the background more. I mean, they still controlled those artists, don't get me wrong. And there was a yes. lot of unfair treatment of those artists. But, you know, it was all about this was the feel show. He totally dominated the artist. It was his way or no way. He did incredibly long sessions, which some thought were um, that the tactics of breaking people, Um
1: Oh right,
0: yeah. Rather, rather than any, you know, more than anything else, if people are tired, they're less likely to to argue or, or something like this. Um, he was the person who made the records, and the artist was secondary. The artist could be interchangeable, and this goes back to what I said, isn't? I don't think you know, but those artists were interchangeable at all. But like, uh-huh. when, like what I was saying, when I was really little, the thing, you know, my dad had a tape. It was Phil Spector, and all these songs were listed. Uh-huh. It wasn't. All the individual artists listed on there. So to me, it was Phil Spector, and he yeah. just worked with loads of loads of different people. But it was it was him. Um, yeah. And I suppose with today's producers, it's about getting the best out of an artist, isn't it? And the artist is the star. Um, whereas with Phil Spector, he saw it completely the other way around. Yeah. So let's talk about the, the wall of sound. And what is the wall of sound, other than being a big a big sounding thing? <laughs> very, very technical terms. Yeah. Um, I mean, he would use a, a room, a big room, and he would cram in as many musicians as he could. Um, and they'd use echo chambers to try and divide the sounds. But um, it enhanced the sounds, But because of the number of musicians and things going on, the parts would bounce all over the place. Mistakes and all. Um, And Phil would sit and listen. And obviously thinking about EQs and what he wanted to get out of that record. So to people listening to a recording session, first, they go, this is awful. What on earth is going on? But what was going on in that producer's booth was very, very different to what you heard in that sound of how with microphones and things that he was tweaking and playing around with. And he never even started recording a song until at least three hours into a session. He would just spend that time making them play over and over again God. while he just listened. Um, but again, was that just to exhaust people and get them to relax or and just Who knows? be a little less, um, I don't know, egotistical with their playing themselves or... I, d- I don't know, I don't know. But um but a number of people said he just listened, made notes and listened, moved people around, tweaked on the desk, and then he recorded. A lot of other producers at the time thought what he was doing was quite clichéd and that he stole from a lot of people, um, musicians, writers, other producers. But from some of the things that I've I've read, it, it kind of sounds a little bitter because even, you know, he got mm. all of this attention... And he did create this sound, and other people were doing similar things, admittedly. But I don't think they were doing it in quite in quite the same way. And I think you know nothing is completely unique. I was going to say, but with the stealing from writers, I think we go back to the whole thing of you know it's Phil Spector, and it's it's not it's it's not that the people he co wrote with or or anything like that. Um, yeah. So anyway, let's look at some of his his records. So, um, and I'm, I'm not going to like go into detail about many of them. I'm just kind of picking out a few bits and pieces around around this. So, uh, Darlene love, he's a rebel. She says that she she never really had any trouble with him. A lot of people talked about his ego and him being quite dominating in in, in the studio and uh-huh. quite aggressive and and things like this. You would mess with him. But other yeah. people have talked about him being charming and witty. And, and and so Darlene says that she never had any trouble with him. He would tell her how to sing it because she was employed as a session musician. And that's what you've got to remember as well, is that that's how Phil saw these artists. They were session uh-huh. musicians, Yeah. Um, whether that's right or wrong.
1: Um, well, people can be both, can't they? They can be well, aggressive ex- ex- and charming and yeah. can be all of those things. Yeah.
0: But so she saw it as in, well, the thing is, you know, he had a vision and he wanted you to do it this way, that's what you're employed to do. Um, uh-huh. So, I mean, she says, you know, he would tell her how to sing it and she'd do it. They communicated uh-huh. well, and within one to five takes, she was finished. Um, when she worked on the record, He's a Rebel, it was understood that she was getting paid for the session, and she was paid $1,500, which is is a good pay for someone. Yeah. To front a record at that, at that time. When you hear of other stories of people getting paid nothing... Um, uh-huh. You know that's 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 a reasonable amount, um, but keep in mind she's the artist that's fronting this, not Phil. He's not going out on stage and miming. Yeah, tell. she's fronting it anyway. Yeah. When the record was a huge success, she signed a contract with Phil, and between nineteen sixty three to sixty five, she says she got paid a total of about three thousand dollars in royalties. That was it, and then three thousand dollars, yeah, and then never got another dime for him from him the records keep kept getting put out um it was darling love and and the crystals under her name and she never got paid anything and she wasn't the only one um that was treated that way it wasn't unique to her she felt she felt quite used in the end um by him and as i say it wasn't just her like no one was getting paid so i don't know if there was a little bit of almost like manipulation there of working with someone to begin with treating them well and then yeah then once they're then, under contract yeah. the the situation changes it almost sounds like grooming, which is a bit creepy um, yeah the Christmas album, which I mentioned earlier, which is a really important change in in music pop music with Christmas songs and Christmas number ones um you'd obviously always had you know white christmas and 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 rhymes for children and things like this. But it was never seen as the the big kind of the, the target for the teenage audience. Do you know what I mean? It was like the kind of uncool yeah. artists that your, your grandparents listened to, or or stuff you sung as a kid. But he took the concept of a Christmas album, made it relevant to the teenage market with taking songs and, and melodies and things that they would have recognised as a kid, and made a rock and roll pop album. And, I mean, the ego behind it was, it was Phil Spector's Christmas. And he even does, like, a little yeah, speech. Yeah. As, I want to thank all the artists on the album, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, to, to the background music yeah. of Silent Night. Um, but, and it was an absolute hit that teenagers, everyone adored. And then on started the whole thing of Christmas records, writing a Christmas-themed record. Yeah yeah christmas Um, number one yeah he just he basically pushed boundaries and just thought well this is what i want i want to do um yeah so he he had a shape he sort of shaped an unbroken flow of hits for artists like the crystals the ronettes and the righteous brothers you know whose um, hit you've lost that loving feeling became the most played record ever on american radio but by 1966 um spectre's reign at the top of american charts was was over his wall of sound kind of was starting to become dated and people were starting to question you know well what what's next music evolves like what yeah you know it seemed that he was just stuck with this one sound yeah um and then he he had his most kind of extravagant production ever with um and in articles, they say Ike and Tina Turner, but Ike wasn't actually ever involved in this. This was Tina Turner on her own. Um, Tina Turner's "River Deep, Mountain High," um, and in her bio, biograph- her memoir, her memoir can't speak. She she talks about this recording session, how being approached by Phil Spector was 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 such an you felt such it was like such, such like a real honor yeah a real honor and such an achievement yeah. in your career because it was like you know if it's a Phil Spector record it's it's going to be a huge hit but um river deep mountain high which as i say is one of my favorite songs um from from the sort of Phil Spector catalog if you like failed to even dent the american charts and he was absolutely crushed by that he retired to his mansion um yeah he married um Ronnie Bennett who was the lead singer of the Ronettes and yeah. consumed with jealousy kept her virtually a prisoner in oh, home Oh, this was going to be in my um uh... and in the documentary that I've mentioned there's you know there's still a lot of love there for Phil but also a lot of um sadness around what had happened and there's no way that she condones what happened to her. But she talks about basically Field created this kind of caricature, which we've talked about before about artists, that, yeah. that he never was that to begin with, yeah. but he became it. And the more people were talking about him being so crazy and off the wall, the more crazy and off the wall he became to live up to that. And yeah. it destroyed him. It absolutely destroyed him. That he he couldn't see beyond that. Um, mm-hmm. So according call, to, to Ronnie, he would pass his days locked
1: in his mansion, watching over and over again films like Citizen Kane. Um, I was um, I was listening to something earlier on. She was talking about him, saying that when he came to England, he would put on a weird voice, like a really weird high-pitched voice for no reason. But then and like, everyone listened... was really confused by why suddenly, when he was in England, his voice changed. He well, he always had a bit of a weird voice, even, you know, yeah, comments... apparently. He put it like he exaggerated it because you know you were talking yeah. about he'd play into his like eccentricities yeah. I suppose like he yeah
0: yeah no exactly but he would watch he would watch that film and weep essentially and um you know I think he it was obviously having a, a complete breakdown and that's you know there was something very wrong um with with him and uh yeah. Not condoning anything he did. I mean, he did. He did go on to do more records. You know, obviously, there's the story about the Ramones, um where he held them at gunpoint to record their record, yes. and they they booked oh him. God, yeah. They booked him because they wanted like a big legendary name um, yeah. behind behind him. But they they felt like a lot of his ideas were very old fashioned. Yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah. So it was a bit of a scary way of working, but. One of the things I wanna do now before we can shift on to your, your story if that's all right, is um I'm going to there's there's a huge list of songs that um that he he's kind of produced, written, and and all of that, that jazz. And there's there's ones that I just wanna mention that some you'll know, but most of them I don't think people will have will have twigged that that's a Phil Spector song. So did you know Across the Universe by The Beatles, Phil Spector, same with All Things Must Pass, George Harrison, An Art of Dying by George Harrison. Then you've obviously got, like, the classics that are on things like Dirty Dancing soundtrack that were done by the Ronnets, like, you know, Be My Baby, which is a fantastic song.
1: Yeah, it's one of my favourite songs of all time, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then... um, Christmas Baby, Please Come Home, Darling Love. That's my favourite from the the Christmas album. So Ramones, um, Danny Says. Then you've got The Beatles, Dig a Pony. You've got, um, who else? Christmas, Happy Christmas, War Is Over, John Lennon. Um, What what else? Let's go through this list. There's Let It Be by The Beatles. Little by Little, The Rolling Stones. Uh, Power to the People, John Lennon. Then Rolling Stones, the last time, the Long and Winding Road, the Beatles. So he, he basically, I suppose, what I'm saying is he's not just known for great work from the 60s. Those records that I mentioned are really great records. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's that's Phil spec to the the early years, just as he was having a breakdown, but before he went on to do to do some fantastic records with with some other absolute legends from. From uh, the rock and pop, so I
1: think that was a fantastic overview, Angela. Actually, that was really good. You know, I was really trying that not be... to
0: go into the darker bits because no,
1: I know it's hard not to with him, isn't it? Because
0: that's the stuff <laughs> that no one would have seen at that point. Really, that was yeah. not talked about, and so I, that's what I kind of wanted to sort of, you know.
1: No, that was fantastic. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. Oh, thank you. You've really educated me there.
0: Oh, should we? Should we go on to your your song that you want to play?
1: Yes, so this is Thoughts 1982. with 1982 Um, you can find them on Facebook and Twitter at the Tuts band Tuts T-U-T-S and yeah that was the second single from their album Update Your Brain which is still available on Bandcamp beautiful beautiful yeah so we'll put everything in the show notes as I say so um, I found some really I found some really good interviews with them as well which I'll share on the show notes they're worth reading
0: yeah yeah no I really like them I think their music is incredibly fun but with, it's really fun. With a strong political backbone Yes, absolutely.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, shall we go on to the second half of Phil? Phil! Let's do sorry. it.
1: So, yeah, so I, um, yeah, that was, that was brilliant. I feel like you've, that was a really good introduction to, to this bit, actually. It's um, really nice. Um, one can so, only hope. <clears throat> so, yeah, there's obviously with Phil, there's a lot to cover. And there's not enough time to cover it all. So I wanted to go specifically into uh, the murder of Lana Clarkson. Because I don't know how much you or anyone actually knows about what happened. I, I knew that he was in prison. Yeah. And that he had murdered someone. Yeah. But I didn't know anything else about it other than that. No, there was a
0: film, wasn't there, made about it? Wasn't um, Al Pacino in it or something? I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure, you know. No, but that, that's the thing. I don't know too much about it either. And that's what I love about this show is, you know, I've, I've just, like, banged on about, you know, how important Phil Spector was as a kid and my discovery of music, but knew nothing,
1: nothing about him.
0: So Well, I didn't yeah. really.
1: We did him at uni and we, talk, we talked about The Wall of Sound and some of the records he'd produced. Um, and I sort of knew that he was a bit of a dodgy character, but I didn't really know, like, to what extent. Yeah. So... I watched for the first time in my life a true crime episode on YouTube. Amazing, great! I'll convert you to being a true know, crime fan. And I thought, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, do an Angela. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna give it a go. And it, it was, yeah, it was interesting. Let's say. So I've also just started reading a book called Wall of Pain by Dave Thompson. on on the life of Phil Spector, but I've only Ah. just started reading it. So you you would really enjoy that. We should put a reference to that in the uh, show notes. So, yeah, so in February 2003 is where it all kicks off. So he leaves his mansion one night to meet a date at a fancy restaurant in Beverly Hills. So how old would he be at this point, 2003? When was he born? Oh, God. Now, where's where's my notes? <laughs> 1930-something, you said. He was said. born in 1939. So he's like 60-something, 64. Is that right? You can
0: email us at rockpoprambles at gmail.com <laughs> with the correct answer.
1: Because <laughs> we don't do right. maths. Oh, no, I can't be bothered with that. Anyway, 60 summit maybe. So he leaves his mansion to meet a date at a fancy restaurant in Beverly Hills. After the date, he drives his, her back to her residence. Then he goes back to the restaurant to pick up his second date. What? Yeah, a bit of a player, I Phil. Oh, yeah, okay. So he picks up his second date. They go to a bar where he's greeted by Lana Clarkson, who I think was working on the door that night she Um, was an
0: actress wasn't she
1: she was yeah i was going to talk a little bit about her it's quite difficult to find information on her which is a shame because i find that with stories like this you know lots about the person who committed the crime but not so much about the one about about the the victims is it really so it's difficult it was difficult to find information on her but um so yeah she was an actress and a fashion model Uh, She acted in several Roger Corman films, including two major roles. So she was quite a successful actress. Um, She worked internationally as a model. So uh, she did work in Japan, Italy, Switzerland, France, Argentina, Mexico. Um, And I thought this bit was really lovely. So she volunteered weekly at an AIDS charity called Project Angel Food, delivering food to HIV and AIDS victims in Los Angeles. And I thought, considering like <clears throat> in the '80s, this was uh, like at a time when the disease was feared by the general public. Well, yeah, basically.
0: People, you can't you can't sit on a toilet, you'll get AIDS. Like a public yeah. toilet, you can't yeah, exactly. brush up against someone, you'll get AIDS. It was. Yeah. I thought
1: it was like an especially lovely sort of thing to do at that time. So I thought it said quite a lot about her character. And it'd be I'd I'd like to know more about her as a person. I wonder if yeah. there's anything out there. But I yeah, know,
0: I just did a quick Google, and it's. You know that's that's the thing that I just find really really frustrating about this because a lot of people have made a happy dime from uh, from this story. As I say, like there's there's a film, yeah, a film with a massive Hollywood star in it. Um, there's books written and, and things like this, and it's like, how is there not more information out there about about her? Seeing that so many people have made some money out of her her murder, basically. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so if anyone knows where I could find any more information on Lana Clarkson, that would be much appreciated. So uh, Phil and his second date arrive at this club. Lana Clarkson is on the door and he's really high on pills and alcohol at this time. Um, and apparently she Lana upset him when he got there because she assumed that he was a woman because of he was wearing one of his notorious wigs.
0: Oh, God, yeah, and, and it, it, <laughs> you need to see pictures of this. Um, yeah, in in the later, it's like, yeah, it's interesting. Let's see, yes.
1: So he was fuming because I think she referred to him as a she. Um, and so she pays him a lot of attention that night, apparently, to make up for the fact that she's annoyed at him. She was probably told. By her boss that she was to do that. Um, so and then when the club club closes at like about two thirty a.m. ish, they he persuades her to go back to his place. And then, fast forward uh, two and a half hours later, she's found dead in his mansion with a gunshot wound to the mouth. Jeez. So. This is where it all starts. So between that, like between the two thirty and five, there's lots yeah. of different versions of what happened. Yeah. So apparently, just after five o'clock, he made a phone call. No, so it would have been it would have been before five a.m. Sorry, because that when she was found. That when she was found dead. So a bit before five o'clock, he makes a phone call to his driver, and he allegedly says, "I think I killed someone," and that's become like a, an infamous phrase now. Yeah. Um. So he said, and he said it a few times afterwards when he was really drunk and high, yeah, but then later changed the story. Um, so he's arrested, obviously, um and while he's in custody, the police investigate the scene <clears throat> and While the evidence is overwhelming, really, there's an empty holster in a drawer that matches the gun that killed her. There's a bloody cloth in the bathroom. Her blood is found on a door handle. Her blood's found on a coat that's hanging upstairs in his closet. But there aren't any fingerprints on the gun. Well, oh, because it could possibly be him then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly. So uh, he makes the million-dollar bail and he meets his personal assistant and they hide in a hotel for about a week but while the house is being investigated. right. Um, and then he sort of, uh, then he changes his story, and he keeps telling his personal assistant that he doesn't know what happened. So this is after he's called his driver and said, "I think I've killed someone."
2: Yeah. And
1: then he keeps saying, oh, "I don't know what happened." And then he says, "Oh, it was an accident." Um. And he he comes up with this story that Lana was suicidal, and that she she did it herself. And just, he made up this weird thing about she even kissed the gun when she did it. So he like tries to create this weird story out of it i don't i don't know that it's particularly
0: common for if someone wants to commit suicide that they just go to a complete stranger's house borrow their gun and do it i don't know it probably does happen but it just and and also manage before they actually do die to wipe their fingerprints off
1: the gun that they used oh yeah it's ridiculous absolutely ridiculous So seven months go by and finally it's ruled a homicide and he's charged with the murder, but he pleads not guilty. So, um, yeah, so this is the bit where I was sort of thought, I want to look into his character a little bit more because, I I mean, you've covered it really well, actually, so you've probably gone into most of a lot of the stuff that I was going to talk about. But I, I was looking at his marriage to Ronnie Spector yeah, because um, she in her autobiography she talks. Have you read it?
0: I haven't. No, no. And but the things I did, I, I started looking at their their relationship, and I sort of stopped because I wanted my part to be more about the music and the legend built around him yeah. than the more disturbing bits. Because I just sort of yeah. second guessed that you might cover this.
1: Bit. Yes, well, yes, you guessed correctly. Well done, Angela. So she um, she talks a bit about well a lot about how controlling and violent he was. Um, and when they were together, he withdrew her from the runettes, and she had no social life at all. Um, and she talked about feeling like a prisoner in her own home. She went days without seeing anyone, even went days without seeing the sun because he used to keep the windows drawn and darkened. God, I know he, absolutely mad. Um, on her twenty fifth birthday, he bought her a car, um, and it was an inflate that in it he'd put this inflatable replica of himself so that she would never be able to, like, drive without him in the car. So weird. I
0: mean, you could say that, you know, that that, that could have been done as a joke, but that sounds... Just...
1: I think in this context...
0: <laughs> it's, just... it's it's not, it's not.
1: <laughs> so as she, she says that as a result of her, what she describes as imprisonment, um, she turned to drinking mm-hmm. and then spent a lot of time in and out of rehab, yeah. Um, and it's really sad, because I haven't read her autobiography, but I've read in this book, The Wall of Pain, talks yeah. about her autobiography. Right. Um, yeah. And it says that she... Um, oh, it's really sad. She said she, she used to go to rehab just as an escape from the house. Gosh. And she thought that if she drank enough, he would become, like, so disgusted with her that he would, he would throw her out so she wouldn't have to leave him. That's how much control
0: he had yeah. over her, that she didn't feel she had the power to leave... Um, Oh, God.
1: Well, it echoes some of the stuff you were talking about um, with people in the studio. Yeah. Like this weird power over them that they can't leave, keeping them in the studio for hours on end. It's really strange. He's got this weird thing, clearly, about imprisonment and keeping people sort of trapped. But also, one of the things I didn't mention in the 60s was, you know, I mean, as much as... I
0: mean, obviously, I wasn't alive in the 60s, and I was talking about, you know, discovering the records as Phil Spector. um, But those artists incredible voices and incredible talents. And I don't think I touched on that really mm-hmm. in that for a reason Um, to just sort of um, talk about the ego of Phil Spector and how that's carried through over history. But um Ronnie was incredibly talented. Yeah. As, as was Darlene Love and as was so many other women that he worked with. And he worked with a lot of women. You have to question, um the reason for that, young women that he could control, manipulate?
1: Well, yeah, there's a running theme here throughout his yeah. life. I think it'd be interesting to look at that in itself. Like, you know, yeah. Phil Spector's women. Because even his personal assistant, which I'll get onto in a minute, in a minute, he tried to uh, manipulate. So... um Yeah, so you talked about the marriage breaking down, um, and this is when his career started to go down the pan a little bit. And in this desperate attempt to win her back, this might be one of the, well, not the most, the murder was the maddest thing he's done, but this is up there. So he, um, in an attempt to win her back, he adopted two children as a Christmas present to her, but didn't tell her about the adoption. What? Yeah. And she only found out when she was returning home from her, like, most recent, um, recent bout of rehab.
0: I didn't know that because in that documentary mentioned, like, his daughter does an interview in there and she goes, he's just, you know, he's just a great dad because he'll sit mm. and have dinner with us. Um, you know, it, it's a quite bizarre.
1: <laughs> it's, it's just, like, I don't know that that, like, all these things that you've just said make him a great dad. But um, well, yeah, well, they'd already got one child at this point that they adopted, I think. And so he adopted another two with that, and she knew about the first one. <laughs> and he adopted the other two without telling her. So apparently they are in the car on the way home from rehab, and they took a detour to a playground, and he pointed at these two kids on the swings, and he said, they're up for adoption. I wanted you to check them out before they saw us. That way they won't get hurt if we decide not to take them. Absolutely insane. Why? What a nutcase. That's...
0: That's just uh, uh, look. Words clearly are failing me at this point. <laughs> I didn't know
1: that. That is
0: crazy.
1: Yeah, before, yeah. It's so it, sh- he- it shows
0: his level of respect for people, for mm-hmm. people's emotions. For every everything is is around him and is for his needs. Right? It's yeah. the same as as like when he was in the studio. It's about him, and everyone else is secondary to that. Yeah. If they even have a consideration in his brain, that's just yeah. So
1: yeah, it's I'm crazy. quite disgusted by that. So. It, I was I was really shocked. So he um so um eventually she did leave him. Um but he wouldn't leave her alone and he constantly he constantly phoned her, even though she had a restraining order put on him because apparently that it didn't like extend the phone calls. So he'd just call her all the time. And two men turned up to a hotel one day. One was Phil's bodyguard who she recognised, and the other guy was just some random bloke. Um, and this bloke walked her to a telephone, dialed a number, handed it to her, and then she realised it was Phil. And he said to her, "That guy's a hitman. If you don't sign the contract granting me full custody of the kids, the Christmas ones, then he'd already then I've already paid him to kill you." Oh so my- even after she left him, he wouldn't leave her alone. Stalker, absolute stalker, basically, but not just a stalker. Like yeah. Just
0: oh my god.
1: Yeah, basically. Um, anyway, I. Back to the murder. I just wanted to talk a little bit about him, his marriage there because I thought that painted um, well, an that interesting a lot. picture of the guy. Yeah, so anyway, so he has been, at this point, he, he's he been charged with the murder and he pleads uh, not guilty. So this was a long time after him and... Uh, what's his wife's name again? Ronnie Spector. Ronnie Spector. Have um, separated. So... Um, He claims that she, well, the defence claims that she killed herself, Uh, painted this whole picture of the classic washed-up actress whose career's, you know, gone down the shitter. Um, But there was loads of physical evidence. The gun was in their mouth when it was fired, and apparently she was in this position that was backing away from whatever was in her face at the time when she died. It's amazing, isn't it, what they can figure out. Um, There were specks of his blood on her jacket. Her blood was on the door handle and inside his trouser pocket, which meant he was close enough to be holding the gun. She'd never been in his house before, so how would she know he had a gun? And how yeah. would she know where it was kept? I think the handbag was found her or on her when she died, so they argued that was a sign that she was trying to leave. Um, and at the trial, like five witnesses, all women, came forward talking about his tendency to pull guns on people. And you talked about that, didn't you, early with the Ramones? Like yeah. that was just clearly something that he made a habit of. Um, and then his driver gave evidence, told him that Phil confessed to me on the phone when he said, "I think I've killed someone." Um, but anyway, the jury was deadlocked, and they declared a mistrial because apparently uh, two people on the jury they couldn't wrap their head around the idea that because it couldn't be proven, there was there was reasonable doubt, but. It's the, this is the problem with the system as it is like you see a lot of this with victims of sexual abuse I think that people need this they need this proof that doesn't exist because it can't really due to the nature of the crime <laughs> Like I don't, I don't know what more you need anyway so yeah so he first declared a mistrial but then six years after a death it went to trial again and this time he was found guilty and sentenced to 19 years in prison well mm. 19 years to life so he was—he's was like sixty-five by then, or sixty. Um, well, he's not getting out, is he? Six years—six years after a death. So that have been two thousand and nine. So yes, yeah, late sixties at this point. Yeah. Yeah, he's not getting out, is he? Really? No. Of course not. But yeah, so we talked about his um, a personal assistant. Apparently, he went to, after bef- just before he was sentenced, he went to all these strange lengths to try and clear his name. So he tried to marry his assistant or convince her to marry him because she'd been privy to too much information. And um, if she married him, she wouldn't be able to testify against him. Because I looked into this earlier. Like in LA, it's called marital privilege. So it grants like this blanket privilege to a witness to refuse to testify against your spouse. So we tried to sort of get around the system in that way. Very clever man. I'll give him that. That's actually, and that's what they, um, like in loads of articles
0: that I read and things like this, like the people that talk about Phil Spector Newman, who didn't even necessarily like him, said the one thing came across was he was a very, very intelligent and manipulative person. Yeah. Um, he knew what to say, how to say it, to to get people to do what he wanted, ultimately.
1: Well apparently he delayed his trial by just just by keep firing his legal team. And he knew what he was doing, he just kept doing it to try and delay yeah. it as much as possible. Yes, an intelligent but extremely troubled, shall we say? Yeah. Talented. <laughs> yes.
0: But uh yeah, just God, it's it's one of those things that obviously mental health issues um prevalent was he a psychopath or was he, was was there something else going on there? It, but, I mean, the fact, the fact that he was so intelligent and everything was so premeditated, I mean, you know.
1: He didn't seem to have much empathy at all, did no, he, really?
0: No, no, that's, that's what I mean as well, that it was just, it was all about him and the situation getting worse. I think it's, I don't know how you intervene with um, someone like that and force them to address their... They're demons. But it, I just think it's so tragic that, you know, someone with such promise, a bright, bright spark from an early age.
1: <laughs> a bright spark. Yeah, a bright spark. bright spark. Phil Spector. Yeah,
0: exactly. There you go. You heard it here. Um, no, but from an early age. No, I know what you mean. And then goes on to have this fantastic, like, had it all, had it all. Um, but, but clearly a, a darkness, a just sort of, grew and grew and grew. And, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, it's it's shocking. But is it shocking, given the way that people just accept it? It's like, how was he allowed to get away with, you know, the Ramones and, you know, holding them there with the threat of, like, a gun and things like this? How
1: well, this is the thing, allowed? isn't it? Why is that? I've, I suppose seen as, like, oh, that's rock and roll, you know? Like, and also, God, I think we're starting to learn now with everything that's come out over the past few years like harvey weinstein and jeffrey epstein and people like that that doesn't really if you've got enough power then you can get away with whatever you like really
0: for a time now people waking waking up and i think it's incredible that we are only just waking up to the fact that um you know people should be treated with respect for god's sake yeah yeah oh dear um yeah, so yes. I've, I've got I've got some random facts here. Well, not random facts, Ooh. but yeah. So Spectre is rumoured to have pulled guns on his artists. It's even claimed that he pulled a gun on Stevie Wonder, oh. um, who was neither his artist <laughs> or physically able to see that Spectre was was holding a gun at the time was due to say, his blindness. It have really, yeah. <laughs> so you know what effect was that meant to meant to actually have? Yeah,
1: God. I just there's so much more we could have done. I feel like we might need to do a a, a follow up podcast. Angela. I
0: I feel yeah because one of the things I s- still sort of regret doing because the thing is, like you said, there's there's so much to cover with Phil Spector, and I wanted to kind of cover his ego and his career it's without too much focus on the actual artists he worked with. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a lot to be said about those artists because it doesn't do them justice on this show. And I want people that are listening to this, that we are fully aware of the talents and skills of those artists. The purpose of this show was to show the kind of the, the making of this ego
2: maniac
0: Mm -hmm. and, and where that resulted really. And, um, yeah, so I suppose that was a story, in a very brief snapshot of, of Phil <laughs> Spector. Nice job. Yeah, nice job, Grace. Seriously, well, that was no, it was good. Don't know I enough about that. that, but yeah, I, def- I definitely think we should do, um, the the, the groups, the girl groups that Phil Spector worked. At. I know he worked with with male artists too, but um, I'm particularly interested in 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 those, and I want to cover those mainly. So that's selfish reason. Uh, much like Phil Spector, but I won't put a gun on anyone. Um, Anyway, I think think that's it for another week of Rock Pop Rambles. We hope you like the story. If you do have an artist you want us to play or a story that you want us to tell, please do email us at rockpoprambles at gmail.com or come and visit us on social media at Twitter at Bug Eye Band and on Facebook as Bug Eye Music. Uh, yeah so that's that's about it what are you doing for the rest of the day Grace
1: um well as it's a Sunday probably not very much you know I'm gonna give myself a day off I think Mm. bit of cleaning might go for a run I did um, a PT session two days ago with my friend and I still can't walk properly (laughs) so I, I can't I can't do very much at the minute
0: You've, you've got to keep it up, Grace, where every time I you start again, it's, yeah, the pain. The I pain. know, I know, I know. Well, I'm taking the mother-in-law to um, lunch, and I think Ooh, that was my nice. my warning text oh, from Julia, right. just then go, going, actually. going, you're still recording, we need to leave. Oh, there you go. You um, have a lovely afternoon. Yeah, you have a lovely afternoon too, and thanks everyone for listening, and uh, yeah, over and out.